Welcome to The Doctrinal Component with Tom Nettles, brought to you by Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries is a reformed teaching organization committed to the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. For more teaching material by Dr. Nettles, please visit founders.org. Welcome to this particular edition of The Doctrinal Component. This is Tom Nettles, and as you remember, we are at this point looking at some of the tantalizing theological ideas that are contained in Titus 1, 1 through 4. Uh, The text says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. In our last session, we looked at the idea of the hope of eternal life. And today we want to look at this phrase which God Who never lies. In an earlier edition, we looked briefly at this idea of God who never lies because of the idea that the Scripture is actually inerrant. It has no error in it. And here, in this particular phrase, we are affirmed with the idea that God, who never lies, has promised eternal life. Uh, All the preceding things that we have looked at come in accordance with a promise made by God. Now, if God had not determined that this purpose for his elect would certainly come to pass, he could not have promised with the certainty of truth sustaining the promise. This is the God who (coughs) never lies. Now, God does not lie because, first, he cannot lie. And second, his decrees control all events, and his words always comply with his decrees. The first London Confession, written in 1644 in chapter 3, has this statement about God, that God hath decreed in himself from everlasting, touching all things effectually to work and dispose them, according to the counsel of his own will, to the glory of his name, in which decree appeareth his wisdom, constancy, truth, and faithfulness. Wisdom is that whereby he contrives all things. That is, as he decrees things in eternity, it is in accordance with his perfect and infinite wisdom. Second, Constancy is that whereby the decree of God remains always immutable. That is, since it arises out of his wisdom, and he has decreed that all things will manifest his glory, uh, then he is constant in the executing of his decrees because they remain immutable. Then third, truth is that whereby he declares that alone which he hath decreed. And though his sayings may seem to sound sometimes another thing, yet the sense of them does always agree with the decree. 
So God's truth arises out of the revelation that he gives us of these decrees, and therefore that which his sayings are, how his sayings are set forth, are always true. It is that whereby he declares that alone that he has, has decreed. And then faithfulness is that whereby he effects that he has decreed as he has decreed. And so when we come to this particular idea, God who never lies, it is built up within the fa fabric of all of these things that Paul has said about uh, the advantages that we have from a belief of the gospel. God is the unlying God. It means more than just that he does not lie, but that his nature is such as he can just as easily be called unlying as he can be called omnipotent. He is called unlying with the same confidence that he is called love or holy. Oh, for this reason, our message is indeed a message of truth. We learn in Romans 1 that the very beginning of this decline into greater and greater perversity on the part of those who have the truth of God revealed in nature comes from the reality that they do not receive this truth. It says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness, unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We learn also, though, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, the place of truth in its operations in the preaching of the gospel. Paul says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Here he identifies God's word, that is the revelation he's received, but also the written revelation with the truth. We see in Galatians 5, verses 6 and 7, how Paul is perplexed about these Galatian Christians. And he says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? That is, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the new covenant, as he preached it. And all heresy comes from not obeying the truth, which is revealed word of God. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 1, we read, So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be, or that is, might exist, to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So again, the word of truth, that which is inerrant, that which does not 
uh, vary at all from that which is actually the case, the, the, the decrees of God himself. That is, the gospel of your salvation is identified with the word of truth. And we see in Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, where the Colossians received the, uh, the gospel. And again, it is identified with uh, the truth. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you. So the truth is the gospel, and it is the truth that gives us the hope that is laid up for us. We see in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, where Paul is writing to Timothy about the obligation that is upon him as a preacher and upon the church as the purveyors of truth. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And then he gives a sixth article, Confession of Faith, which we will deal with in a subsequent podcast. Just two other passages very quickly that I want to look at in this in the interest of the truth. John one, chapter eight James one, excuse me, chapter eighteen, verse eighteen, says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And then in John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer that Jesus gives where he is praying on the basis of the eternal covenantal relationship that he has with the Father in which he gave persons <coughs> to the Son to redeem. Uh, Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Therefore, the truth comes from the unlying God, the God who cannot lie. We can rest on every word of God. We can trust every word of God. It is by the fact that he is the unlying God that he has promised us salvation in Christ. We have the hope of eternal life. We have the gospel uh, and we have the assurance that indeed he is our God. I hope that I will uh, be able to talk with you again in the future edition of the Doctrinal Components.